At this time, I'd like to welcome our guest speaker, Larry Miller, to the podium. And I look around over the congregation, and I think uh, he's pretty much family. Roy is the one who wanted us to ask him to preach this morning. Eric, we dealt with, with Jerry Held's estate over a few times. Dusty and Becky's parents are here this morning. So I've known Larry for numerous years, and I look forward to him speaking to us this morning. And he's going to talk about the power of the tongue. So welcome, Larry. Good morning. good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. Thankful to be here with you and share with you. I uh, would say I'm humbled by many of the family being here. I thought they would have heard enough of me at home. <laughs> but uh, I am pleased with their presence. And I say it's good to be with you and share with you. We want to look at a, a message titled The Power of the Tongue. And I thought when uh, Roy pressured me into coming, uh, so if, there's, if you have any problems, take it out on Roy. But uh, what do you talk about? Well, I figured everybody has a tongue, so we can talk about the tongue. And I had a fellow minister tell me many years ago that he never preached a sermon that he didn't need first. And so I guess that's where we're at this morning. I needed this one first. I did think about the title, What Did You Just Say? My wife tells me I come across that statement pretty often. Being a farmer, oh, don't hear like I should at my age. So anyway, we'll go with the, the power of the tongue. And I'll share with you some facts from a newspaper article as we begin the message. And I quote, we live in, an inf in the information age. Someone has said that we speak an average of 30,000 words a day. That sounds high to me, but I guess somebody figured that out. Since 1966, more than 60,000 words have been added to the English language. And that's more words that are in some entire languages in the world today. Each year, more than 40,000 scientific journals publish more than 1 million new articles, many of which contradict each other. 30 years ago, there were three major news networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Today, there are hundreds of TV stations operating at full power, and cable TV subscribers can tune in and watch hundreds of channels offering more than 72,000 shows a month. With smartphones and internet and all the accessories that go with them, iPads, tablets, and whatever else that is available, the article says we have a world full of information as fast as you can get it on the screen. It says we are no longer measure, we no longer measure each other's worth by good deeds or kind words, but how many celebrities we know, we talk about them as though they are dearest friends. 
To be informed today means only to have a good short-term memory. Instead of 15 minutes of fame, we try to survive on 15 minutes of knowledge. We have polls on everything from the elections to polls on the pollsters. The writer says we are so informed that we really don't know what's going on. We're overwhelmed with information. He says we know too much for our own good. We Americans of this century are overinformed, and that will be our downfall. The article points out that we need to guard against being deluged with excess data. All the charts, graphs, and news bites in the world won't bring us peace or contentment. Two things that Americans find most elusive, I believe. And the notion of keeping up with everything is an illusion. It's frustrating and self-defeating. The sooner we give it up, the better we'll feel and function. The writer also says, and I want you to get this, that merely living in the United States today and participating as a functioning member of society guarantees that your day, week, month, year, and life and your physical, emotional, and spiritual energy will be easily depleted unless you find a proper vantage point from which to approach each day and conduct your life." End of quote. I would say that I would hope everybody here today can say that we have found that proper vantage point from which to face each day and can conduct our lives. That vantage point is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His Word, the Holy Scriptures. Bill Gates, who is no stranger, that name is no stranger to any of us, claims that we are only on the threshold of far greater wonders. In his book, The Road Ahead, Gates makes this prediction. When tomorrow's powerful information machines are connected on the highway, you'll be able to stay in touch with anyone, anywhere, who wants to stay in touch with you to browse through any of the thousands of libraries any time of the day or night. While we can be thankful for the technology that brings all that information to us as individuals, it's remarkable when you think about it. But all the learning of philosophers and the achievements of scientists can't give us the truth about God and His will, His grace, or the good news concerning Jesus Christ and salvation from sin. For that knowledge, we will always need the Bible. That's where it comes from, and that's where it will always come from. Proverbs 2.6 says, The Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. 2 Timothy 3.7 says, We live in a world that's ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And you might wonder, well, what does that have to do with the power of the tongue? We talk about everything, don't we? I mean, we just... We humans just tend to talk. And the fact of the matter is, just as other forms of worldliness creep into the churches, materialism or whatever else seems to surface at times in a visible way, information could be a more subtle way of undermining fellowship among believers in a body of Christ. And I'm not necessarily talking about the junk you can get on the internet. There's all kinds of trash. We know that. Uh, the pornography that's available and everything else that can go along with that. But, you know, are there messages relayed back and forth between church members about other members, texting, Facebook, Twitter, which I am convinced are simply extensions of the tongue? In many cases, we relay messages about others that 
we would not think about saying in a face-to-face -face conversation. And I think we need to be extremely careful how our speech travels in these avenues of conversation. There have been, and you all have heard stories of those that have been bullied to the point of committing suicide on Facebook. It can be very dangerous. And I'm thinking, why torment yourself with all the unnecessary, time-consuming, intimidating, trivial stuff? By the way, the title of that article that I used was, we are gluttons for the trivial, but we don't have to be. So we think about the tongue. We're told that the tongue is a boneless member of our body. It weighs about six ounces. And I had to think about that when I looked at that. I think some people's tongues weigh 20 pounds or more <laughs> by the way they use them. But you know, it's about the same weight as a smartphone. And for some, well, I believe James 3.8 would fit both devices. It says in James 3.8, the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We had some interesting conversation about this in Sunday school, and I was wondering for a bit if they didn't get my notes talking about the tongue. Like a comment was made, one individual, I'm not sure who made the comment that they had trouble with their tongue. But did you ever say something and right as soon as it was out, you wished you hadn't said it. Nobody ever did that. Well, I have. And I think I can say with some certainty that we've all been there. In fact, I think I can say that there's not one person here that hasn't had at least some trouble with their tongue. And I'll base that on James 3, 2, where it says, For in many things we offend all, but if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man. We know there was only one perfect man that ever walked this earth. The same as a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. So we think about the power of the tongue, just how much power does the tongue really have? Proverbs 18, 21 puts it like this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Notice the extreme difference in that verse. Death and life. I believe if we use our tongue properly, there's life. If we use our tongue improperly, there's death. And you will be forced by God to eat the fruit of your tongue. Galatians 6, 7 says that God's not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I'm sure I'm not bringing anything new to you as a congregation here this morning. You've, you've heard many of these things before. But I do believe if you criticize, you will be the object of criticism. If you're a fault finder, you will be the object of fault finding. If your tongue is bitter, you will eat the bitterness of it all the days of your life. If it is sweet, you will eat the sweetness of it all the days of your life as well. James 3, starting at verse 5, says, Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fair kindleth. And the tongue is a fair, it's a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. When we were young, I'm sure many of us heard the little adage, sticks and stones can break my bones, but 
words can never hurt me. You ever hear that? It's, it's a lie, to say the least. I don't know why we ever learned it, but we did. I think we all have. James 4, or verse 4 in James 5 compares a ship's helm to the tongue. And the largest, the largest ship that I could research was the Seawise Giant. It was an oil tanker. Over 1,500 feet long and 225 feet wide, it weighed an estimated 657,000 tons when it was fully loaded. But it was operated by one man, Captain Sarinda Mahan. One man with one hand could turn that massive vessel and guide it to where it needed to go. Just so the tongue, as small as it is, can have a tremendous effect. The tongue can tear down a man's character that it took years to build up. Verse 6 here says that the tongue is a world of iniquity. I remember quite well when I was a boy at home and I started to say something negative about someone. My mother was quick to cut me off. I remember complaining about a particular neighbor years ago and, and she said, okay, that's enough. If you don't have anything good to say about them, just keep your mouth shut. I didn't need to figure out what she meant. I knew very well what to do. Just keep quiet. The fact is that you are the master of your words until you speak them, and then they are your master. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 37, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And I often think about that when I hear people make comments about others or even their children, calling them certain things. We've got to be very careful we don't pronounce a, a curse on people by the way we talk. And just a story to show the importance of what we say when it comes from the heart. It's a true story. One, one well-known individual was speaking in front of a certain large audience, and a girl stood up to give her testimony. He wasn't sure he wanted to let her go, and the MC of the uh, program said, no, no, you got to let this girl speak. So she stood up. Her name was Yamila. Maybe some of you have heard this before. She stood up in the audience with her arms to her back. And she said as a young girl, she was angry at God for something that she thought that he brought into her life that deprived her of some things that other children had. And she cried to God and said, I will never clasp my hands. And pray to you. A short time later, she was distraught and depressed to the point that she thought about taking her life. She got on a bicycle, decided she was going to take her own life. So she rode down along the railroad tracks, intending to cut over in front of an oncoming train. And as she rode, and the train approached. She turned her bike into the tracks. 
the bike hit the tracks, flipped her over on the side with her hands on the inside of the tracks. And the train roared past, came to a screeching halt. The engineer made the announcement that they had to stop, that a young girl tried to commit suicide. Help came, she was rushed to the hospital. And during the long process of healing, her grandmother spent a lot of time with her and shared the message of Christ. How Jesus Christ loved her and she gave her heart to the Lord. She then brought her arms forward, held them up, and showed the audience the stubs where her hands once were. But she gave glory to God for saving her life and ultimately her soul. After the meeting that night, an elderly lady worked her way through the crowd to meet her and talked to her and said, Yamila, I was on the train that night. And when I heard that a young girl was going to commit suicide, I prayed hard for you. That someone would share the message of Christ with you. She said, it is so good to hear you speak here tonight. You see the importance of what we say. And sometimes what can happen. So it's important that we watch our words. Isaiah in chapter 6 verse 5 cries out for help with his tongue. He says, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And you Bible readers are familiar with that passage in the next few verses there in chapter 6, his lips were touched with a live coal from the altar and his lips were purified and then he was ready for God's service. There's many examples in the scripture of people that harmed themselves and did harm to others with the power of the tongue. One such example is from Psalm chapter 52. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that. In Psalm 52 we read these words. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. The tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place, and root thee out of the land of the living. And then also in Psalm 120, which is a sequel to Psalm 52, a couple verses there, says, Deliver my soul, David is writing, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? The story behind those scriptures is found in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. You can read them when you have an opportunity. We're told there that there was a man on King Saul's payroll by the name of Doeg. Doeg was an Edomite. 
in more recent times, I think Herod, the uh, tetriarch, the one who was in power at the time of Jesus' birth and had the children killed, was an Edomite. Adolf Hitler was an Edomite, basically a half-breed Jew. Doeg was a dangerous man. David was running for his life as King Saul tried to kill him on numerous occasions. And he fled to the tabernacle where the service was rendered by the priest Ahimelech. When the priest saw David, he knew something was wrong. David asked him for something to eat, and there was no common bread there but the showbread only that was to be used by the priest. And Ahimelech gave it to him. He asked for a weapon, and the only weapon there was that of Goliath's sword, the one that David had killed earlier. David was headed for Gath. It was Philistine country. As he was getting ready to leave, he noticed someone standing in the shadows, and it was Doeg. Doeg went and told King Saul that David and Ahimelech had entered into a conspiracy against him. King Saul was furious about that, and he confronted the priest with a host of troops. And when Ahimelech refused to betray David, Saul ordered him killed on the spot. 1 Samuel 22:17 says that the king said unto the footman that stood about him, Turn and slay the priest of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. Because when they knew when he fled, they did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priest of the Lord. Not one man would obey Saul's command at that point, but Doag, the Edomite. It says in verse 18 there, 1 Samuel 22, turned and fell upon the priest and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. Eighty-five people were killed that day by Doag, the man with the razor-sharp tongue. When David, when David heard the news in Gath, in verse 22, he said, I knew it that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, the man that loved devouring words. And he wrote Psalm 52 and 120. There's numerous Bible illustrations of men that killed themselves or troubled themselves with their tongues. One example would be, or another example would be that in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan to bring back a report. You know the results. Ten came back and said, we can't. We can't take that land. There's giants in there. Two of them came back and said, we can, Joshua and Caleb. But when God heard the majority report and the congregation's murmurings, he said this in Numbers 14, 28 and 29. God told Moses and Aaron, say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, and as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years and upward, which have murmured against me. Thousands of people killed themselves, literally, with their tongues at that time. In the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, I know you're familiar with these scriptures in Acts 5, killed themselves with their tongue by lying to the Holy Spirit about a price of land. Proverbs 21:13 says, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. You know, we go to the doctor sometimes, and one of the things you'll do is take that stick and tell us to stick out our tongues. And he presses down and he looks in there to see what he can see. I'm not sure what they're looking for. But I think sometimes God 
tells us to stick out our tongues. And he takes a look in there, and he can see things like maybe excessive talking, simply talking too much. Proverbs 10, 19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Another way of saying that if you talk all the time, sin is unavoidable. Don't get involved in others' conflicts and problems. You know, the quickest way to win an argument is just to stay out of it. Uh, Proverbs says, where there's no wood, the fire goes out. Wise is the person who knows what to say, but when not to say it. Another problem that God might see when he looks in our mouth is that of idle words and careless words. Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Someone has said that everything we've said is out there somewhere. I don't know about that, but I do think God has our words recorded and will bring all to the bar of justice, except those removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Gossip might be another problem he sees when he looks in there. That's a pretty popular one in our day. Leviticus 19.16 says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. A talebearer is a gossiper. In Proverbs 6, 16 and 19, there are seven things listed that the Lord hates, that God hates, and three of them, seven, come out of the mouth. A lying tongue, a false witness, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Evelyn Christensen writes in her book, Lord, Change Me, and I quote, I find that it's impossible to pray for and gossip about a person at the same time. I can't thank God for all the good things about a person and be filled with accusations against them at the same time, end quote. If we want to see and enjoy, we want to see good days and enjoy life, 1 Peter 3.10 says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. You know, there's people that complain about other people all the time, you know. Uh, man, I can't believe they're letting that person teach a Sunday school class in church. Or, you know, you, you can put in there what you want, but... James 3, 9 and 10 says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessings and cursings. My brother, and these things ought not so to be. Romans 12, 14 says, Bless and curse not. And we start, and I'm as guilty as anybody. I'm not, you're not looking at somebody that's above everybody here. And we start telling somebody else how dumb another person is. We're essentially cursing them. We should not do it. It's wrong. James 4.11 says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. Another one is lying and deceit. Anything is spoken that's not completely true is a lie. And the Bible says in Revelation 21 that all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone. Jesus said, Let your communication be yea, yea, and nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. And I think that's telling us that we shouldn't speak hastily or carelessly. Or when we make a deal with someone, no matter who it is or what it's about, when a word is given, it's given. I know my father's been very adamant about that over the years and often quoted Psalm 15. It says there, Lord, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell on thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue and he that sweareth to his own hurt, and changeth not. 
I think that means, and my father stressed to us many times, that if you make a deal, it's a deal. If it costs you in the end, it costs you in the end. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. We keep our word when we give it. Our yea should be yea and our nay should be nay. Another disease that God might see is flattery. Psalm 12, 3 says, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Flattery is excessive praise with a corrupt motive. And then we come down to the high-tech world of talking with our hands, typing things that we would not necessarily say to people face-to-face. -face. But do we text it, tweet it, whatever? I'm not up on all that stuff. Put it on a Facebook page. Matthew 12, 34 says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And also, I believe, out of the abundance of the heart, the hands move and the fingers type. David asked in Psalm 24, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Then he answers that question in the next couple of verses. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. I don't think we can type out things on a screen that are nasty and have clean hands before the Lord. On the other hand, I just got this Thursday. Said the eyes of the world are on Finland right now. A prominent politician and medical doctor, Paivi Rasanen, faces crim criminal charges because she quoted the Bible on social media. Rasanen is a Christian who holds a biblical view about human sexuality and defends a scriptural position on marriage. Now she's facing prison for posting Bible verses on those subjects online. And that article says someone said truth sounds like hate to those that hate the truth. I know we live in a world that's full of chaos and all kinds of disruptions, but I don't want to end on a negative note. And I think we'll just quickly look. I told Roy this, that I'll probably be somewhere between 20 minutes and an hour. So if you're good for another half hour, Roy, we're, we're going to be all right. Now, we'll quickly look at some things that the Lord wants from our tongues. You can use your tongue in an honorable way, first of all, by giving thanks, being a grateful person. Psalm 26, 7 says that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Some of us talked about that a little bit in Sunday school, how great God is and the wonderful works of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I think we would all have to admit that a grateful person is a person that's a joy to be around. It's, it's pleasurable to be around someone that is a grateful individual. One of the marks of the end times is that people will be unthankful. And I think we live in that kind of a society. But as children of God, we are to be known as a grateful people, a thankful people. Another one would be singing. We can sing to the Lord, sing before the Lord. Ephesians 5.19 says, We are to speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Psalm 95.1 says, Let us come, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. And I would say if anybody in this old world ought to have a song in their hearts, it ought to be the children of God. Giving words of comfort to others is another honorable way to use the tongue. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation that we, 
may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. If we've been through a hard time in life and we've been through a trial, we can, we can see somebody else going through a trial as well. Share words of comfort. I don't know how it is here, but when we sing songs in, in the home church, sometimes we'll leave out verse 3. We'll sing 1, 2, and 4. We'll skip 3. But there's a song... I think many of the messages come out in verse 3. Verse 3 of a particular song says, Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore, touched by a loving heart, awakened by kindness, chords that were broken will vibrate once more. I'm sure you sing that song here, but don't. I always am a little disappointed when verse 3 is skipped in that, in that hymn. Proverbs 15, 4 says that a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. And of course, praying is yet another honorable way we can use our tongues. Confess your faults, James 5, 16 says, one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If we are struggling in an area in our lives, something we don't like to do, we can confess that struggle to a godly individual and have them pray for us in that area. If you go through your day and someone's name comes into your mind, breathe a prayer for them. It probably could be the reason their name come into your mind. And another way we can use our tongues in an honorable way is to encourage others, the godly art of encouragement, the building up of the saints through encouraging words has done volumes of good through the church, down through the ages, in the Lord's work. Proverbs 25:11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. We need to share words that help and heal. Ephesians 4.9 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And again, we can use our tongues by teaching and sharing God's word with others. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be done in front of an audience. It can have a tremendous effect and be very effective one-on-one. -on -one. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And still, I would say the greatest way to honor the Lord with your tongue is to accept the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is the power of God unto salvation through the tongue when it is guided by the Holy Spirit from the heart. And I pray God's blessing on each one of you as you continue to serve Him. God bless you.